Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. As usual, at the end of the program, we'll have our couple of Harvard business tips that might help grow your business a little bit more. And also because Christina Sikiotis is still overseas at the moment, we won't have our minute on innovation. But I'm going to have a look at making your business cards work for you. But right now we're going to have a chat with Steve Markey from Markey Insurance about the storm and where we go from here. Good afternoon, Steve. Afternoon, Julian. Thank you for uh, your time again this afternoon. And uh, to date our program, we've discussed now various insurance products that can assist business and people with the exposure to risks. And, of course, recently we have been subjected to extreme weather, which has caused such extensive damage that authorities have deemed the event a natural disaster. Mm. Newcastle and the Hunter have been working hard to get back on their feet and we thought it would be of interest to discuss some points worth uh, relating to the, how insurance is responding to the disaster. So, mm. can you tell us a little bit about what happened in the in- in- industry uh, immediately after the storm had subsided? Well, I can try. <laughs> um, yeah, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of panic and, um, yeah. and, and people in difficult situations. So... Yeah, thanks, Julian. Um, like following the storm was was a difficult time for everyone, including ourselves. Um, yeah, our business lost phones and partially lost internet connection as well. Me too. Um, yeah, <laughs> like a lot of people. Fortunately, we still had power, um, and many people were in that boat, like yourselves. And, and this made it difficult to communicate to start with. So straight after the storm, it was difficult to communicate and report the losses. Um, but as a fix, many businesses had phones diverted to multiple mobile phones and arranged for wireless internet connections. Mm. So business eventually got, got back, back up on. and running. Um, like a lot, a lot of people couldn't go to work due to damage at the workplace or it was simply unsafe to make the journey. It was surprising how many people were in that boat. Mm. And um, the insurance industry, like the insurance industry have been through this so many times and, and they know what they need to do in these initial stages to help get the claims reported and the recovery process underway. Um, so disaster centres have been kicked into play in the major insurers and, um, and, and registered the flood of claims that come in. So I was getting the claims registered to start with, so everyone could get their, their claim online. But, and this part of the process gets handled quite well. Um, the problem, they start later down the track and we're starting to get into that position now. Unfortunately, I was just listening to, to some of the uh, words you were using there in the same boat, um, yes, and also the flood of claims. I mean, <laughs> it relates to that, doesn't it? I was wondering if you picked that one up. <laughs> so, once people have their claim registered with their insurer, what, what can they expect to happen next? Um, well, it's kind of depending on the extent of damage, and I can't talk about this extensively, so no, it's no. just a brief cap. Um, they can expect, uh, say, for minor damages to organise to have their damage fixed and send the invoices for repair into the insurer for consideration of payment. Mm. So they could just get it fixed and send the invoices in and they would know whether they can do that. Or more commonly, for the more significant damage, um, or if there's a business interruption claim, a loss assessor will be appointed who, who will then come out to site and check out the damage and record the details. So... You should get a, a loss assessor come to see you. But something I'd like to make very clear here in relation to loss assessors, and loss assessing companies are actually independent businesses, um, they're commissioned by and work on behalf of the insurer. Okay, so remember mm. that, the insurer, mm. not the client so much. Mm. Their job's to report on the damage and loss to the insurer, 
and assist uh, the client in compiling the relevant information in order to quantify their loss. Okay, so they, they help the client through the process. Mm. Um, and then they make a recommendation on whether the claim should be paid and for how much. And that, that recommendation is made to the insurer to then make the final decision. They're really important in the process. Um, sometimes the loss assessor will um, organise quotations for repair and replacement and the clients can do that as well. You'll do a comparison, make sure you're getting the right price. And he says his job's to assist in determining any loss of profits that the client may suffer as well. Um, after that process, and the insurers agreed to pay, obviously the repairs need to be done. If the process is going to take some time to determine, you know, the total amount of the loss, many insurers will make a progress payment. So people out there, if you've got a significant loss, um, remember this one. So. If you're going through a slow settlement process, you may be able to get a progress payment to help you get back on your feet. Mm. So ask about this, ask your broker, ask the loss adjuster. So, so, so what sort of issues have you seen evolve following this process so far? Um, unfortunately, there's starting to be a number of issues come out. Um, so as a matter of interest, we've had over 700 claims mm. reported in our business, and, and that's still rising. Uh, but some of the key issues we're going to have to deal with are um, due, to, due to the high demand for loss adjusters, which I just spoke about, um, many of them come from out of state and from overseas, like New Zealand. Okay, this, And this can be an issue further down the track because they're no longer in town. They're back in their own way of life and moved on to other claims, so sometimes it can be hard to keep your claim up as a priority. And they also don't know our local suppliers, so um, mm. sometimes they can't help get that process happening. Quickly. So make sure you know who your assessor's details are and make sure you send them through to your broker um, so they can assist in pushing them along. Um, so it's, make sure you know the loss assessor, make sure your broker knows the loss assessor. Mm. The other big one, like it's not being covered for flood in areas which have flooded. Mm. Um, that's an old chestnut. It is. And businesses which have suffered a loss of trade or revenue and do not have business interruption insurance in place. Mm-hmm. That's a big one, and um, obviously because of the demand, getting your repairers and tradespeople to the jobs to get the work done. Yeah, they may you might get the quote, but they may not show up to do the job. So you mentioned the old chestnut there of uh, flood insurance. Why has this been an issue? Yeah, it's a good question that one. Um, and like to put it in perspective, the, in June two thousand and seven, what we call the Pasha Bolka storm. Um, Damage was caused by both water inundation, so remember those two mm-hmm. words, and flood, so two different things. And pretty much the same has happened in this storm. Um, the big difference I see this year is flood cover is much more available to the wider community now than it was in 2007. So the big difference in awareness on flood cover. Mm-hmm. So... Um, a very small percentage of people had flood cover in 2007, but we were very lucky because then the most insurers turned a blind eye to the dreaded flood word mm. and they paid the claims anyway underwater inundation. I don't think we're going to see or be so lucky this time as, as a lot of work's been done by insurers and the government and community requests to offer flood cover. Okay, so mm. the problem we're going to see now is, is many people will not take, because a lot of people won't take the cover, mm. particularly if they're in a risky area, as they don't want to pay for it. Mm. Well, they simply don't think they will flood. Mm. <laughs> so, flood is a, you know, what, what's flood mean? We talk about flood, but what is it? It's, um, 
it's basically by definition the covering of normally dry land by water escaped from the normal confines of a lake, river, creek, natural watercourse, reservoir, canal or dam. So it's basically water coming up mm-hmm. from a natural watercourse. Mm. Um, yeah, um, whereas water inundation is where it comes down that heavily, that quickly, it just fills up. It drains. Yeah, it just fills up. Um, so two recommendations here on that. Um, so often damage is initially caused by inundation and later by flood. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when, when an assessor is out there looking at the jobs, they'll need to determine the percentage of damage caused by each. So for, you, for, the, for all clients out there, if you can, take photos on the way through, so that shows the time mm. that the damage was caused. So, okay. um, you know, and secondly, find out how much it is to insure for flood. Mm. It's, it's, not, it's not available everywhere, though. Particularly yeah. um, up in the Maitland area. Correct. <laughs> Some areas there, you just can't buy it. And I understand that many businesses chose not to buy business interruption insurance. Have you found that this to date? Yeah, that's correct. Um, we've had many such businesses ask if they can claim their loss of trade or loss of revenue, and it's surprising how many businesses you can discuss this subject with every year, and every year they choose not to take the cover. Mm. But when a disaster happens, they they're not aware that they don't have the cover in place. Um, you know, and they ring up and say, mm. can I claim it? So, well, we haven't got it. Mm. Uh, I strongly believe people underrate this insurance. Mm. So business interruption is really important. Um, in, in this storm, we saw businesses lose power for up to seven days. Yes. Um, and they may not have had any damage at their premises, but they still couldn't work. So mm. business interruption insurance can cover like a loss of trade when a, even a public utility, for example, is out of action, like you lost power. Um, it can cover... For losses due to prevention of access, you know, like people and employees can't get to your Shop. place of work, mm. and um, loss of billings, loss of sales, and the good thing about it is it can even provide cover for overtime, advertising, rental equipment you needed to get, which um, your business is initiated in order to, importantly, reduce the loss of revenue. So it's all about reducing the loss of revenue. Um, you know, but business interruption can even pay for your accountant's costs and independent claims preparers to assist you in preparing your proof of loss. So it's it's a fantastic policy. Mm. You know, and on that so on the subject, uh, it's important for business to know that they um, they can hire professional claims preparers. So um, and people probably don't really know what I'm talking about there, but but these guys they work for you as the client and not the insurer, mm-hmm. as the loss assessor. As I said before, the loss assessor works for the insurer. Claims preparers can work for you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they, they'll assist you through the compilation of financial information required to substantiate your loss, which is really complicated. Okay. Uh, you know, if you're going to have mm. a significant business interruption loss, get one. You know, yeah. Talk to your broker. They can tell you who to use. So, so, so recommendations for businesses to follow? Um, yep. Well... Stay in touch with your broker and your insurer. Keep them informed on your progress with assessors and repairers because um, often the broker may not know what's going on out there if it's just happened. It's likely they're going to, the broker is going to have to negotiate something on your behalf and pull all of the stakeholders involved in your claim together So, mm-hmm. to make sure we know who all the um, stakeholders are. When you've had a loss, take the photos. Um, Which is easy these days with, a, with an iPhone, isn't it? Yep. 
everyone, we've got so many photos. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Um, and they, they time stamp them as well and location yeah. stamp them. So it works out really well there. Take the photos. Um, get flood insurance if it's available and affordable. If not, make sure you understand the risk you face and that you're not insured for it. Mm. Um, consider business interruption insurance is a big one. You know, mm. it's, not, it's not always expensive. There's different ways it can be constructed to make it more affordable if you want to take lesser covers. Um, take a close look at what covers you have in place. Don't think you're covered for everything. We often get that. Mm. <laughs> if you've got a business interruption claim, think about a claims preparer. They can help you. And um, don't just go out and do things without advising your insurer first. You know, they may not pay in the end, so you know, get your insurer approval first. And finally, we've had a number of floods and bushfires and so forth over the last few years. Um, do you think that the, this event is going to affect premiums? Um, I don't think it will. Um, or my short answer to that was no. Um, with all due respect, this event that we're talking about here is not a large insurance loss in the world scheme of things. And the insurance industry is flooded with capital at the moment. There's a lot of money in the insurance industry and the market remains extremely competitive. So I don't think insurers are going to get the chance to put their premiums up. Oh, well, that's just my view only. That's some good news. We'll hold you to it. No, it's all right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Uh, and and uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll have a chat a bit more about that business interruption insurance and maybe yeah. some loss of profit stuff. Yeah, I'll try and make that interesting for you. Thank you. We'll chat in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Thanks, Julian. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Steve Markey there from Markey Insurance, just assessing what's been going on in the insurance world. And it's coming up to 1.30. So let's have a look at a couple of quick things uh, before we finish the show. And as I said, uh, Christina Sikiatis is not available to be with us today because she's still enjoying her conferences over in America. We, we look forward to her return next week and to hear about some of those things. I thought I'd have a quick chat about uh, one of the most underrated and misused marketing tools that we have at our disposal, and that is our business cards. Um, when you hand out your business cards, do people take a step back and say, wow, if not, then we look at, need to look at some things that are important. First of all, what do people want off a business card? And normally it's your name, who you are, not your business name, because it's you that they've met. So it's your name that's the more important of the two. Your phone number, because uh, normally they want to get in contact with you. So your phone number or your email address and absolutely essential is what can you do for them? Have you outlined on your business card how you can help people? Imagine your business card was dropped in the street somewhere and someone picked it up and they'd look at the card and go, this person can help me do, this person can help me solve this problem. Obviously, you need to have all the other things like fax numbers, mobile numbers, addresses, business names, logos, uh, web page addresses on there somewhere. But those three, four, three or four most important things need to really jump out from uh, all the other stuff. How often do you see on the business card all the phone numbers all in a very, very small font that you can't really read? And uh, remember that the uh, about 50% of the population wear glasses or should be wearing glasses. They should be able to read your contact details very easily. And the next thing that's important, and it doesn't matter whether we're uh, spending a lot of money on a business card, you know, two or three hundred dollars uh, uh, for five hundred, or even if we're buying some of the cheaper ones like fifteen dollars for a hundred. 
There is a reverse side to the business card, and it's important that we make it work for us. There's, there's two schools of thought in this regard. Some believe it should be left blank to write notes on. However, you should realise that other people will also write notes on the back of your card and then toss it away when the note is actioned. I believe that the reverse side of the business card is potential goldmine. It can be printed with information that makes your card so valuable that people want to keep it. In fact, they will be eagerly asking for your card for themselves and their friends because of the value of the information. The back of the own business card, or back of my own business card, has uh, 10 tips with guaranteed business guaranteed business success and results. So putting little tips on the back of your business card make people go, oh, that's useful, and they'll keep them and they'll even pin them up on their office boards and so forth. So uh, there's just a few things to make your business card the first impression. And uh, it's useful to consider that uh, it doesn't matter whether you've bought a very cheap card or a more expensive one. The information on it is what's really powerful. So I hope that's helped a few people. Also, let's have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. Uh, Coach employees to be more creative. While creativity is not 100% malleable, uh, personality does set limits. It can still be nurtured through deliberate interventions, especially over a long period of time. If you're trying to teach someone to be more creative, give lots of feedback. This is essential in helping people close the gap between their confidence and their competence. Those who don't give enough feedback or ignore it only end up being creative in their own minds. You can also provide training and creative thinking. For example, teaching people to detect novel ideas, take on a challenging task, retrieve knowledge outside their expertise or combine unrelated ideas can all boost creativity. But only one of the most effective methods to unleashing creative potential is simply assigning people to tasks they love. If you can increase someone's motivation, particularly intrinsic motivation, um, then his, his or her creative performance will also likely to increase. So interesting little comments there. And finally, training employees to handle abusive customers. Sometimes the customer is not always right. Certain customers, whether they're unforgiving, unforgiving, obnoxious or overly needy, can hurt employee morale. Put your company's reputation at risk and prove too costly to serve. It's important to clearly define your ideal and non-ideal customer and then train employees on how to deal with the latter. They are, after all, your company's frontline eyes and ears. They must decide which customers are worth working with and which are not. Companies often don't conduct special training to handle entitled and abusive customers, leaving employees to improvise. If they're operating under the cliché of the customer is king and trying endlessly to please every whim, it can hurt your bottom line. Provide support by explaining what problematic customer behaviour looks like and establishing a process on how to respond. This will help them be able to make more effective and on-the-spot decisions. So we do have sometimes those uh, abusive customers. Teach people how how to use them. Well, thank you very much for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. A little bit different. We've looked at the storm and the insurance impact there. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Just a reminder about... uh, 
Oh, the awards that are around the uh, Lake Macquarie and Hunter area at the moment. The uh, Lake Macquarie uh, Business Centre is running the Lake Macquarie Business Enterprise Awards and, uh, and those close on Sunday. So we've talked about that quite a few times on the program. Be aware of that. And now the Hunter Region Business Enterprise Centre has just launched the Hunter Region Business Excellence Awards. So you can visit either of those premises to find out more information. Next week, we'll visit the tax world with Tony Vidro. We'll have a minute on innovation with Christina and look at some business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Leonard Bernstein once said, to achieve great things, two things are needed, a plan and not quite enough time.